love you and praise you and thank you, God, that your spirit leads us. God, we are on a schedule, but you have no schedule. God, if you want us to sit and bask in your faithfulness, then we are going to do that, God. So, Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you, God, for the leading and guiding of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this year so far, if you've been with us, and if you haven't, I'll get you up to date because we really know one thing. And we know from day one until now that Jesus is, there you go. That's what we do know. And praise God for that one thing, that Jesus is better. He's the best. He's the bestest. He's the whatever. He is it. And he is better, we know, in all ways, better than anyone or anything. He's better, we know, than the angels. He's better than the law. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. And he provides a better sanctuary, a better sacrifice. And this week, and then the next time we're together, we'll learn that he provides a better principle. And that principle is faith. He provides a better principle. So last time we were together, you recall, the author of Hebrews is telling us that the just shall live by what? That's right. It's a quote from the book of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. The upright shall live by faith. This week in Hebrews 11, we will take a look of a port, at a portion of scripture that is known as the Hall of Faith, uh, the Heroes of Faith. This list is comprised of more than 17 people who lived extraordinary lives of faith. As we look to this chapter, we'll not only see the true definition of faith, but people, real-life people, who were examples of this faith. Were they perfect people? No, of course not. They all made mistakes just like you and I. They were imperfect people that God used to do extraordinary things. When we pull all of these 17 extraordinary lives of faith together, we will see more clearly the true faith and what it really looks like. So true godly faith, as we're going to learn in part one and part two of living faith, that's what I titled this, is that true godly faith is a faith that first is a worshiping faith. It also is a walking faith. It's a working faith and a waiting faith and a warring faith. And praise God in the end, it is a winning faith. So this chapter we see is divided into two. The first three verses give us the description of faith. And the remainder of all those other verses give us the demonstration of people's lives that fulfilled this faith. So how many of you are visual learners? Anybody out there is visual? Okay, so am I. I'm a visual learner, and I really can sit and struggle with directions. So anytime that you have directions that's just written out, no pictures, just written out, I sit and struggle. Anybody ever got anything from Ikea? (laughs) Okay, I will say this. I do love Ikea because everything is in what? Pictures. 
There is not a word, not one. It's all pictures. Those Swedes, they know how to do it, right? So it's pictures and pictures and pictures. And so for those of us who like directions and like to read step one, step two, step three, we probably don't do well with Ikea things, putting them together. But for me, if I have a picture, it's really worth a thousand words. Okay, here's the picture of the completion. Here's the the picture of how to put it together, and I can sit and figure it out. But if you give me a list of steps, it takes me forever, twice as long, because I'm visual. If I can see it, I can do it. Today, we are given a picture of faith, what it looks like in the life of real people. It's like we have a picture book before us, and each turn of the page we are getting a tangible look at what real life faith is. We are looking at tangible faith as we look at the lives of these people, extraordinary people, really ordinary people that an extraordinary God used, right? So let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 1 gives us the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Or as the uh, New Living Translation says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Confidence is a firm trust. Literally meaning to stand underneath and to support. Faith to a Christian is to a Christian is what the foundation of a house is. So faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. Without a proper foundation, we know what happens with a home, with a house. It will, whatever, slant or crumble or crack or, you know, fall. So too with us as believers. If we do not have that proper foundation of faith, we too as believers will crumble. We will fall. Assurance, though, is a pledge. It's a promise, a vow, a conviction. Assurance is the inward conviction from God that what he promised, he will perform. Therefore, we can define faith as a firm trust that what we hope for will certainly happen because God has promised it even though we cannot see it. And we know that God always keeps his promises, right? He cannot lie. He cannot go back on his promises. What he says, he will accomplish. Faith, said Augustine, is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we do not believe. As I mentioned the last time we were together, this verse really means the world to me. It's been tried and true and proven sure in my own life, and you probably can attest to that as well. I can't tell you how many times John and I have quoted this verse to each other over the past 25 years. Watching God divinely lead us by the hand each step of the way as we stepped out in faith to move our little family of four to Florida, not having a place to live, not having a job, not having a church, knowing no one, 
but trusting the Lord for what we could not see. We are a walking testimony of God's faithfulness. You see, faith isn't as much about our great faith as it is about his great faithfulness. Faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. When we need it, he supernaturally supplies it. I think about when John and I stepped up, stepped out to uh, move to Florida. We packed our U-Haul uh, and moved without knowing where we would even live. We had no place to live. Just put everything in a U-Haul. He got in the car and drove. Wow, like I think about that now, and if that were my kids, I'd say, what are you doing? That is crazy, that is ridiculous. But we never thought twice about how ridiculous that was. Why? Because God gave us the supernatural gift of faith at that point in time to do something crazy and radical for Jesus that didn't make sense to anybody. And we never thought twice about it. But now, oh boy, I would never do that again. Like, what were you thinking? I can't believe that our parents never stopped us. It just is absolutely ridiculous. But God gave us the faith that we needed, when we needed it, to do something ridiculously crazy for Jesus. I think some people thought we were crazy, though. And yet, to us back then, we had a full assurance that God would come through, even though we could not see it. Because God gave us what we needed when we needed it to do what he asked us to do. And he will do that with you as well. He will give you crazy faith to do crazy things at crazy times because he gives a gift of faith. I never thought one time when we stepped out in faith, uh, wow, 20 years ago now, uh, what happens if this doesn't work out? Never one time did that ever cross my mind. It probably crossed John's mind, but it never crossed my mind. What if this doesn't work out? What will we do? We move 3,000 miles away from everybody we know and our families. We don't know anybody. We don't know where we're going to live. We don't know what we're going to do. We just are obeying the Lord. But I never one time thought, what if this doesn't work out? Are we going to have food? Are we going to have shelter? Uh, and God was faithful. He was faithful. He knew that he would come through. And we somehow knew that too. But I will say after 10 years, when we felt the Lord stirring in our hearts to move back to California from Florida after being there and pouring into these people for 10 years, I doubted every single day. Every day I doubted that it was the wrong decision. Thinking almost daily that what would we do if this did not work out? Did I have the gift of faith? Yes, but we had struggled a lot in those 10 years previously. Same two people, same faith, different circumstances. This time we were older 
we were wiser, and we knew what troubles would face us. We knew how hard it would be. This time, we had a family of six. We were older. We were wiser. Did we lack faith? No, we still stepped out in faith, but we knew now what it would entail. We had already struggled plenty, and we had had a great testimony of God's faithfulness in our life. We were more the been there, done that type of people. We've already done that one time. Lord, you couldn't be calling us to do it again, could you? We've gone from A, B, C to D in our lives. We did not want to go back to A. But the Lord was not done building our faith yet. He wanted to do a deeper work in us so that he could do a deep and good work through us. And he wants to do the same with each of you. It doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've walked with the Lord. The Lord is never done deepening our faith, building our faith that we might be used in a greater capacity for the Lord. And we'll see today that not all testimonies of faith are fun and exciting. Some are downright difficult, and even, as we'll see, not this time but next time, end in death. But it's a testimony of faith just the same, isn't it? However it ends up, when you step out in faith, it's a testimony of God's faith. As the definition of faith states, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. We cannot see faith. Faith is believing. It is expecting. Or as Andrew Murray says, faith expects from God what is beyond all expectation. So verse 1 says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Here we see that faith is defined further by the author as not only believing what we hope for but cannot see, but he shares that faith comes from, or from faith comes two things, a good testimony and also understanding. The word testimony or witness or good report, maybe as some of your Bibles reads, in verse 2 is an important word in Hebrews 11, and it is used also in verse 2, verse 4, and verse 39. So Hebrews 12.1 describes the list of men and women in Hebrews 11 as this great um, crowd, excuse me, cloud of witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses. They are witnesses to us because God first witnessed to them. As we live a life of faith, the world looks on and sees the power and the testimony of a great God, right? Our lives are a life lived for faith and it's a witness to the world. Each of us have our own testimony. It's very unique how we got saved. Some of us got saved out of the pit of destruction, while others have walked with the Lord since we were young. 
Whatever your story is, it's powerful and it's to be used as a witness to the faithfulness and glory of God. Warren Wiersbe said that the unsaved world doesn't understand true Bible faith probably because it sees so little faith in action in the church today. So little faith in people doing crazy things for Jesus. Crazy people stepping out in faith and trusting the Lord for what they cannot see. So little faith in the church today. That's profound. Profound, but so profoundly true. Faith is action. It's not just saying, but it's doing. It shows the world that we can trust God no matter what. No matter how difficult our life, no matter how difficult our circumstances, no matter the outcome, we trust the Lord. As we live lives of faith, we are that tangible, real-time example to believers and non-believers alike. Living a life of faith, trusting the Lord for the impossible, stepping out when we cannot see is a witness to a watching world. In addition to being a witness, faith is also very practical. Verse 3 tells us, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that that which are seen are not made of things which are visible. In spite of what non-believers say, faith enables us to see what others cannot see. And as a result of faith, it enables us to do what others cannot do. People laughed at these men and women that we're going to read of in Hebrews chapter 11. But God didn't laugh. He applauded them and he was glorified. Faith works quite simply, ladies. God speaks, we hear, and we obey. That's how faith works. We trust his word, and then we act upon it. Faith is trusting, but it also involves action and doing. The circumstances might be impossible, and the consequences might be frightening and unknown. But we obey God's word just the same, and we believe him that he will do what's right and what's best. By faith, we also trust that what the Bible says is true. It takes faith, doesn't it, to believe in creation? It takes faith to believe in this book. It takes faith. But I'll tell you what, it takes more faith to believe in evolution, to believe that we just evolved, that it was just a big bang and poof, there we were, or that we evolved from monkeys. It takes way more faith to believe that than to believe that there was a living God, a powerful God, a God who uses the earth as his footstone spans the universe with one hand. That's our great God. It takes more faith to believe the other, doesn't it? True faith trusts that the word of God is true, holds the Lord to his promises, steps out in action, and is a witness to the world. So now that we have seen and know what the true definition of faith is, the author now moves on to give us a very practical look at what faith looks like. 
He gives us the visual. He gives us a picture. Someone once said, the best way to grow in faith is to walk with those that are faithful. I believe that to be true. Surrounding yourself with godly, like-minded people who stir you up, who move on, who step out in faith, who encourage you, who are great examples of faith in our life. Those are the people that we want to be around, right? And that's what the remainder of this chapter does. It's a list of the lives and the labor of great men and women of faith found in the Old Testament. Each of these examples really sets for us a pattern of faith. In every single one, they did the same four things. First, God spoke to them through his word. Second, their hearts were stirred in different ways. Third, they obeyed God. And then fourthly, they bore witness to a faithful God. When we're done with this chapter, we'll see a beautiful picture that the author paints for us of what a a true godly faith really looks like. It's a worshiping faith. It's a walking faith. It's a working faith. It's a waiting faith. It's a warring faith. And it's a winning faith as well. So the writer begins with our first picture the person of Abel, who demonstrates a life of a worshiper, a worshiping faith. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks. So the background most of us are familiar with is in Genesis 4, 1 through 10. And in it, we learn the story of Cain and Abel, the first two children of Adam and Eve. The day came when both of these boys were to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And Cain was a tiller of the ground, a gardener of sorts. And so he brought his produce to the Lord. While Abel, we're told, was a shepherd. And he brought his firstborn flock to the Lord, his firstborn uh, lamb to the Lord. The offering really, though, wasn't about the gift that was offered. It was the heart behind the gift that the Lord was really after. Adam taught his kids, same kids, same message, how to be a true worshiper of God and what that looked like. It was an act of the heart, for true worship is a response to God in doing, um, in worshiping the Lord, our heart is transformed into his very image. God alone knows what's inside our heart, right? He knows when we're, uh, we give a true offering, whether we're fake or whether it's real, whether it's complete and hearty and whole and committed, or whether it's half-heartedly done. The Lord knows. He's the only one who knows our heart. Well, God looked into the heart of Cain and Abel, and he saw well, far beyond their offering, and he saw deep into their heart. Cain's offering was an offering out of religious obedience. He had to do it, so he did it. While his brother Abel's gift was a heartfelt response because he had a personal, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Worship is far more, ladies, we know, than singing songs and raising our hands in church. It's a response from a life that is in love with the Lord. There's a difference between saying, I love you, Lord, and being in love with the Lord. If we're in love with someone, we're not going to give them something little and meaningless. We're going to really think about, right, the best gift that we can give someone, something that truly represents the love that we have for that person. Abel lived a life that was fully committed to the Lord. Therefore, he was able to give his very best to the Lord, which ended up costing him his life. This tells us something, doesn't it? That there is a cost involved to living a life that is wholly committed to Jesus Christ. Not everyone will be excited about our great zeal for the Lord. It may cost relationships. It may cost friendships. But we must keep in mind who we are really out to please. And who is that? Jesus, the Lord. We are not to be men-pleasers. We are to be God-pleasers. Jim Elliott, the missionary to the Aka tribe who lost his life at age 28 years old trying to bring the gospel to the remote jungles, you know, of Ecuador, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Abel was a righteous man who worshiped God and offered his very best to the Lord, and it cost him his life. Godly faith, is a worshiping faith, but it is also a walking faith, which is our second point. We see this in the life of Enoch, a sort of mysterious character in the Bible, but so profound. We'll learn that in one second here. Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. Wow, what a testimony, right? Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A few months before my father-in-law went to heaven, I was teaching this verse. I was teaching, actually, and this verse came to mind while I was teaching. Enoch walked with God and was not, for he pleased God. It kept ringing through my mind. And I went back, sat in his office, and I told him, Enoch walked with God and was not, for he pleased God. And um, he knew, and I knew, what that meant. That with some people... Their life is so pleasing to the Lord that he just can't wait to see them. And that was the life my father-in-law lived. There is something so pleasing to the Lord, isn't there? 
to a life that walks with God and was not, for he pleased God. She pleased God. In her book, Pleasing God, Kay Smith said, when we love God as we ought to love him, your desire to please him will be strong enough to make you put aside your own preferences. If you only know God in church, if you only feel his presence on Sunday morning, you aren't walking with him. Those are her words, not mine. Walking with God means continual fellowship with him. You simply will not have this desire to put aside your own preference if the only time you walk with him is when you're sitting in church. Our faith is a faith of action. We walk with him on a daily basis, and that's how we grow in our faith. Our faith in God grows as we spend time with him. We must have both the desire to please him and the diligence to seek him, to have our faith grow. As our faith grows, we grow as a result. As we read the word of God, as we meditate upon the word of God, our roots go down deep into the soil where nutrients are plenty. We have fellowship with God as we pray and as we listen to his still small voice. We worship him and become more disciplined with our time and in our lives. We go from babies to toddlers to teenagers to adults. A life that pleases God is a life that walks with God. And as we walk with God, we're moving forward and making progress in our relationship with the Lord. Enoch walked with God in a wicked world before the flood. And if he was able to keep his life pure and pleasing to God, then so can we. Amen? Both Abel and Enoch were taken from this earth. Abel was a shepherd. He brought his very best lamb as a sacrifice to God. And his own family member killed him. Jesus was the lamb of God. And he was killed by his own people that he came to save. And Enoch, who never died, but was taken from this earth, snatched from this earth, is an example to us is a reminder of the rapture of the church. We too will be taken from this wicked world, snatched from this wicked world, just like Enoch was taken because we walk with God and our life pleases God. True godly faith is a worshiping faith and a walking faith, but is also our third point, a working faith. Verse seven tells us, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah's faith involved the whole person, his mind, his heart, and his will. God warned Noah in his mind. He moved upon Noah's heart with fear and Noah obeyed God in his will. I'm not sure how many of you had this happen in your life um, or how God worked in your life, but it took me about four years after I got saved to surrender my will to God. I surrendered my heart very easily, but my mind and my will came after. 
When we get saved, we very easily can surrender our heart to the Lord, but surrendering the rest takes time. If the Lord can get a hold of her heart, he knows he has us, and the rest will come eventually. We're told in Genesis 6, 5 that Noah lived in a wicked and evil time. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great. The earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and that he was grieved in his heart. How sad is that? That God was sorry that he put man, that he created man and put him on earth? How sad is that? Listen to this. Matthew 24, 37 through 44 tells us, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the days Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, and one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding in, uh, with a handmill, and one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, we're exhorted, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at the time of night that the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour which you do not expect. The days we're living in are looking a whole lot like the days of Noah, aren't they? Where people are doing whatever is right in their own minds in their own eyes. And there is only evil continually upon this earth. We know there is good upon this earth because believers are upon this earth. But once the believers are taken and snatched and taken away, there will only be evil upon this earth. We are getting closer, ladies, to the day where we will be taken if the Lord tarries, and some of us go to be with the Lord beforehand, but I'm thinking that it's time. It looks like it's time. We know our time that we're living in is growing more and more evil. We do know that. So that leads us to understand that the time that Jesus is returning is getting nearer and nearer. Amen? The point we want to take from this is that even though Noah lived in such an evil time, he never stopped working for the Lord. He could have just sat down and given up, couldn't he? He could have stopped, but he didn't. He obeyed, he persevered, and he trusted the Lord. And guess what? He didn't even know what rain was. There had never been this rain upon the earth. There had never been a thunderstorm. He trusted something he could not see. He had never known, but he trusted nevertheless. And he did not stop, and he continued working. 
Noah did what was right in the sight of God. He listened to God, he obeyed God, and he also influenced others, those closest to him, his family. You may not be able to influence the world for your love of Jesus, but you certainly can do what Noah did and influence your family. Amen? Those closest to you, we can save them. They can get on the ark before Jesus comes back. Don't let anyone stop you from building, ladies. You keep going. You do not stop. You do not let discouragement come in there. For we are out to please one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus. I remember when we first moved back here to California, and some people accused us of (laughs) coming back and, and wanting to pastor this church because we wanted this building. They had no idea what we left, what we went through to get here. That we left our family. John's parents lived one minute away from us. It was a dream come true. And um, we waited for seven years for them to move. And they finally moved to Florida to help us with the church. And then we moved back here. They had no idea what we left. The security. We were doing great. We loved it. Everything was awesome. We had a five-bedroom house with a pool and a 30-acre golden retriever. We were set. But the Lord called us back. We moved back here, not because we wanted to move back to California, no matter what people said. (laughs) We moved back here out of complete obedience to God. It was a huge step of faith. We left people that we loved. We saw get saved, baptized. John married them, and they had their own children. They were like our kids. We obey God because we want to please God. We never stop working. We never stop stepping out. We never stop trusting. Noah obeyed God and was counted faithful. And we want that to be our story as well. Amen? True godly faith is a worshiping faith. It's a walking faith and it's a working faith. But it is also a waiting faith. And this is where we're going to end today. I'm going to share with you a little bit but we're going to pick up here again. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs of him of this promise. For he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child which she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, by the way, just want to put that in there, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Wow. 
so beautiful, so awesome. The emphasis in this section of this chapter is on the promise of God and his plan for the nation of Israel. The nation began with the call of Abraham and the promise of his descendants. But Abraham was 75 years old at the time of the promise, and he didn't have any children. And then 10 years passes, and still no children. We read in Genesis 15 that God promised Abraham more descendants than the stars that he could see. And I'm sure he could see a lot of stars out there. And in chapter 16, we read of the 10-year span and how difficult it got and how Sarah grew impatient and could not wait and got in the way. She waited for 10 years, did not have a child, felt responsible. I have to fulfill this. I'm the one who has to bring this promise to pass. But she didn't get pregnant. This would be the first of many tests for Sarah and Abraham. None of us likes to wait, do we? Whether it be an hour, a minute, a day, 10 years, 25 years. Especially when it comes to having children or getting married. 10 years is a long time. And we, like Sarah, can be tempted to intervene, to get in the way, to fix it, to help God out. Taking matters into our own hands. Whether that means we settle for less than God's best in a spouse, thinking that no one better will come around, or we try to help God out by creating a work of the flesh like Sarah did. Sarah gave her maidservant, Hagar, after 10 years, to Abraham to help God out. And of course, God allowed it. Hagar got pregnant. We know the story. And she had a son, a type of the flesh. But it wasn't the one that God had planned all along. It wasn't his perfect plan. It was striving. It was a work of the flesh. It was not a work of the spirit. I wondered as I studied this, if she had waited, would God have fulfilled it sooner than 25 years? I wonder. We're not told in scripture, but we can't help but wonder, right? If she would have waited one more day, one more year, maybe at 11 years, 10 and a half, God would have fulfilled it instead of 25? We wonder. When we get in the way, we mess things up. It often takes longer. Anytime we operate in the flesh, we will cause problems. We tend to grow weary when we've waited for something and it hasn't come to pass. But lest we be too hard on Sarah, we probably would have done the same thing, right? We would have tried to help God out. And which of us hasn't done that before? I mean, all of us have. I remember reading how to get a baby girl, certain foods that you're supposed to eat to make your body a certain acidity to be able to get a girl. Anybody? Anybody? No, just me? Okay. 
That was after we had two baby boys. So I was like, I really want a girl. And so, of course, I started reading up on it. Well, after that, I had a miscarriage. And I thought that was my girl that I so longed for. And I began to become very selfish about it. I couldn't go to girl baby showers. I would cry. It was really hard for me. And I knew something was in there. Like, wow, Lord, this is weird. You know, I should be okay with this, and I'm not. So I knew something was there. I didn't know if it was just me being selfish. Is that a selfish request? I mean, I had two healthy little boys. Is it selfish to want a little girl? So I really began searching my heart. I was happy with my two little guys, but I still longed for a little girl. So I got pregnant again, and I thought, this is my girl. Until John came down the stairs and said, I've been reading the book of Joel this morning, and I go, really? Because the Lord gave him the name for our other boys, Jacob and Josiah. And I thought, oh boy, really? I've been calling her joy for the last whatever, 22, 20 weeks, you know? And um, sure enough, it was a boy. But what a joy our Joel is. He is such a joy. Loved my three boys. Loved them. Love them. Still do. But again, the longing never left me. And I know people who have three boys, four boys, and they haven't had that desire for a girl. So I knew... Certainly that was God that had put that desire in my heart for 10 years, did not go away. I, like Sarah, started becoming very envious of other moms with little girls. I would dream about what it would be like to do laundry of little girl clothes. I mean, seriously, what would it be like to have something pink in my house besides jeans and a t-shirt? Uh, We laughed, but it was serious. I mean, it was this, I can't describe it. Until my seven-year-old son, Josiah, began praying for his sister. Every night, he prayed. For six months, he prayed for a little sister. And I never told my three boys about this desire, this ache in my heart. Six months later, I got pregnant. And back then, you had to wait a really long time. It felt like, you know, it was 20 weeks. You had to, it felt like 20 years, you know. It felt like forever until you had an ultrasound. But uh, that little guy kept praying every night. Every night he prayed for his sister. He never wavered. In fact, the day I got my ultrasound, I remember bending down and looking into his little blue eyes. And I said, Sai, if it's not a baby girl, it doesn't mean the Lord didn't hear your prayers. And I secretly was pleading with God, oh God, oh God, oh God, you have, this has to be a girl. And it was so interesting because it no longer became about me and this desire that God had put in my heart for 10 years to have a girl. It was more about, do not let this kid down. He has been fervent and unwavering for six months every day. Oh Lord, you have to come through. Sure enough, we were on the ultrasound table, felt like an hour, like finally finding out. And, um, and it was a girl. And we named her Faith. Not because of my great faith, but because of the faith of a seven-year-old little boy who would not stop praying. But he persisted. 
Have you been waiting for the Lord to answer a persistent prayer of yours? Do you feel like he isn't hearing you? Oh, be assured, ladies, he has heard you. He sees and he knows. And he knows exactly when to answer. It may be a test of your faith. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't intervene. Don't get in the way. It could be, as with me, that he is drawing out your faith and the faith of others as well. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't give in to the flesh. God is the one who has placed those desires upon your heart, and he will fulfill them in his timing. A scripture that the Lord ministered to me during my felt like 20 years of waiting was Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5. And I would encourage you each to jot it down. If it's not highlighted in your Bible, highlight it, star it, square it, whatever you need to do, it's a keeper. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. If we are trusting in the Lord, dwelling in him, feeding on his word, delighting in him, then he will, he promises that he will give us the desires of our heart. For even, ladies, when we are faithless, as with Sarah, God remains faithful. In closing, I want to point out so far in the hall of faith that we've looked at Abel's worshiping faith. We've looked at Enoch's walking faith, in Noah's working faith, and in Sarah's waiting faith. By the way, the Lord did give them their promised child. We will look at that next time. After 25 years, and as we read, Abraham was as good as dead. And sometimes we have to get to that point where we are as good as dead, and then our great God comes through. Amen? You see, we can meddle at times in the Lord's business. We can get in the way, and we can try to speed things up a bit, but we really end up just messing it up. Even when we get in the way and we mess things up, guess what? God remains faithful, and that's what we see in Sarah. She grew impatient. She got in the way. She messed things up, but God still answered her prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do love you and praise you, God. And I just sense that there are women here today that needed to hear this message, God, that are waiting for you to answer a prayer that have been longing in their heart for you to fulfill something in their life. And you would say that to them today, keep
keep waiting. Keep praying. Keep persisting. My answer is right around the corner. Lord, so we trust that you are here in our midst, that you have spoken to your women, that what is on their heart, you will fulfill in your timing. I do pray for these ladies that they will not get in the way, that they will learn from the example of Sarah and others to step out of the way and let you have your way in our lives, God. Would you help us to be patient? Would you help us to wait? Would you help us to work while we're waiting to get our mind stayed on you while we wait for the fulfillment of our prayers, of our hopes, of our dreams? And would you allow this to deepen our faith, God? For our foundation is faith. Build upon it, God. May it be a witness and a testimony of our great God. We love you and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.